The information and opinions presented in this Arc Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the Arc Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Tertzakian. Well, welcome back. You know, Jackie, we've had a lot of um, industry leaders, industry association people on the show over the course of the last year, but it's been a while since we've had someone to talk about policy and someone from government. When was the last time we did that? It was back in April of 2022 when we had Minister Wilkinson, and that, that was a great podcast. Yeah, it was a great podcast. And guess what? We have him back today. So who better to talk about federal government policy when it comes to environment, environment and energy? as the Honourable Minister of Natural Resources Canada, otherwise is known as Enercan, Minister Jonathan Wilkinson. So welcome back. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you. And we're really interested, lots of topics right now around policy in Canada and energy. But maybe before we start that, I, you know, you were the Minister of Environment and Climate Change Canada. Now you're heading up Natural Resources. How are you feeling about where Canada is with when it comes to energy and environment policy. I mean, your government has brought out a lot of things over the last 18 months and still more coming. Well, I actually feel pretty good about the work that's been done across the country. I mean, of course, we, we had to go through the process of really putting together a comprehensive plan for addressing carbon emissions across the country. And we put out perhaps, well, it is the first plan in Canada's history that actually showed a pathway to achieving a target and then in the aftermath of that, we we raised the target. So I think from a planning perspective, and, and I would say that plan is one of the most detailed climate plans that exists anywhere in the world. It's easy to have an ambitious target, but it's another thing to actually have a plan as to how you're going to achieve the target. But the back end of that really is, it's not just about reducing emissions, obviously. It's also about ensuring that Canada can create good jobs and economic opportunity as we move through with the rest of the world, a transition to a lower carbon future. And that's the work that I've certainly been focused on since I, I made the change or the prime minister asked me to make the change to become Minister of Natural Resources is how do you actually do that? And how do you do that in a way that is regionally sensitive? How do you do that in a way that ensures that there is opportunity for folks that live in every province and territory in this country? And so I'm very optimistic. We're in the process of obviously implementing a lot of things. And there's definitely a lot of work to do, but I think we're making good progress. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about not only the progress, but where we have to go. And I want to key in on two words, phrases that you use. One is achieving emissions and jobs. And the clean energy momentum is pretty solid, even without policy. I mean, things like wind and solar, the expectation that things are going to grow. Jobs is a big issue. And I think, you know, where are we going to find the labor skilled labor like electricians, given that electrification is such a big theme. Can you talk about the work that you're doing in terms of jobs and trying to figure out how we're going to create the next generation of skilled workers for this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I actually like the way you framed it. You know, that there's there's been this long conversation about what happens as the economy transforms. And, and there have been people who have been concerned about job losses. I actually am more of the, the mind that uh, I think your, your question is, which is the amount of work and the number of opportunities that a country like Canada has as we think about transitioning. If we're smart and we're thoughtful and we have a plan, the big problem we're going to have is actually we're going to have too many jobs and not enough people to fill them. If you think about, as you say, electricians, if you think about the building stock in Canada, 70% of the buildings that are standing today will still be standing in 2050. 
If we want to be in a net zero economy, we've got to actually go through retrofits of pretty much every one of those buildings. That's tens of thousands of plumbers and electricians and carpenters and drywallers and everything else. So, you know, we need a plan for that. I think you heard that actually from Alex Purbe and Derek Evans, even, you know, with respect to the whole amount of work on CCUS and on hydrogen that are actually available in, in provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan. So we need to be thoughtful about that. And we are going to be competing for, for talent with other countries, other countries that actually have more challenging demographics in Canada. But I think it starts with ensuring that we were breaking down barriers for women to be in the labor force. And so that's what the childcare program was fundamentally about. It was as much at least an economic policy as it was a social policy. It's about engaging Indigenous communities and especially Indigenous youth and ensuring we're equipping them with the skills to be able to participate fully in this society. And then it's really gearing some of our immigration measures to the jobs of the future that are in those building trades. They are in the areas like hydrogen and, and CCUS and engineers and other kinds of things that we really do need in the mining space. I mean, there's going to be an enormous demand for mining-related technology folks as we think about critical minerals. So we are really trying to work through that. And that's part of what that whole sustainable jobs action plan was about, was about what's the economy of the future going to look like and how are we going to ensure that we can actually seize those opportunities? Well, and we will put a link to the plan. We actually talked about it briefly on the podcast a few weeks ago. Clean Energy Canada within your plan had an estimate that there would be a 3.4% annual growth in jobs in the clean energy sector over the next decade, nearly four times faster than the Canadian average. Your plan put forward 10 concrete actions that are kind of gearing us up to be able to do that, including getting the data and thinking about are we getting the schools and, and people in place to get the skilled workers we're going to need. I guess the plan's been out a number of weeks now. What are some of the reactions and is it what you expected? Well, I, I've actually been pretty pleased with the reactions. I mean, first and foremost, as you will know, we went fully away from the whole conversation around the just transition. I understand having grown up in Saskatchewan, having worked for the province of Saskatchewan, that that actually connotes something on the prairies that is not always entirely helpful to the conversation and language matters. And so we talk a lot more about sustainable jobs, which is about it's forward looking and it's positive. It's about actually creating economies that are actually going to provide wealth and prosperity. They're going to provide good jobs for our kids. And I think that's the way it landed. Like people looked at that and they said, this is about actually building on a province by province, territory by territory basis, regional economies that are going to be strong, understanding what it is that the skills are going to be, and then planning to ensure that we're actually ready. And uh, the labor movement certainly came out very strongly. I think many folks in the environmental community did, but so did so did most of industry. I heard very positive things from the national business organizations. I heard positive things from the Pathways folks and a range of others. And to be honest, uh, my, my counterparts uh, in province and territories, including in Alberta, were generally pretty positive about the direction. And you will have seen, uh, you know, Premier Smith, her language is the language of sustainable jobs too. Right, right. Well, You've been holding roundtables across the country to understand this issue. So that's sort of the more formal way of listening and getting feedback on things like the Sustainable Jobs Fund. So how have those roundtables been going? What have you been learning? What are you planning for roundtables going forward? Who's participating? Maybe just speak about all that. So we started this process. We call them the regional energy and resource tables, but they're actually bilateral province by province. We now have nine of those tables going, and I hope that we will have the remaining four going in the next few months. Essentially, it's about talking to the province about what are your priorities from an economic perspective? Where do you see the great opportunities as we move forward, as our economy begins to change a little bit? 
And so the opportunities in Nova Scotia are going to be very different from the opportunities in British Columbia or in Alberta. And so we started these in tranches because having bilateral tables with every province and territory is a pretty heavy lift, uh, even for the federal government. And the province that is probably most advanced at this stage is British Columbia. I hope within the next month or so to be announcing essentially a draft action plan that actually outlines not only where we're going, but some concrete deliverables, including looking at some of the issues around aligning regulatory and permitting processes between the federal government and the province that will help us to move projects forward more quickly. So we are making progress. Different provinces and territories are at different stages. But I think when British Columbia actually announces that action plan, you will see kind of where we're heading with all of this, which I think is important. It's about painting that picture of what the economic future looks like. We've been having discussions with industry and with labor and with uh, Indigenous peoples. They are a little bit different in different provinces and territories, the structure of that. And there will be lots more engagement going forward to ensure that the plan is a fulsome plan. It's not just a government plan. So, Minister, the plan was fairly high level. So is the idea you'll have provincial plans that will have a lot more details? So you're going to develop these regional plans? Exactly, exactly. And I think the British Columbia plan, when it's announced, will give you a sense, a better sense of where this is going. But it's fundamentally about governments being responsible in terms of actually engaging with each other to develop these plans rather than the federal government doing something and the province doing something that may not be fully aligned. We should be thinking about what are the most important areas? How do we leverage the resources that we're bringing to the table? How do we think about tax-related measures that we can do? And how do we align regulatory and permitting processes? I mean, you know, I keep saying mining of critical minerals is one of these areas in almost every province and territory. It cannot take us 12 to 15 years to develop new mines in this country if we want to actually achieve the energy transition. So there are lots of things that we should be working on together because it's in all of our interests to be as efficient as possible and to move as quickly as possible. You mentioned there was nine roundtables, but there are more than nine provinces and territories. So is there anyone missing in the conversation here? Yeah, we're working through a few issues with some. Some of the issues are, you know, Nunavut, we haven't stood up a table because there's some complexity around devolution that we've got to kind of work our way through, Indigenous participation and governance and all those things. Two of the others are our Saskatchewan and Alberta, and I've been having pretty constructive conversations with both provinces to try to get to a, a framework that's going to work for them. Ultimately, this is not the federal government telling the provinces what to do. This is about finding ways where we're going to be both comfortable about the way in which we're going to move forward. And so I've been dealing with Minister Guthrie, but also with Minister Savage in Alberta, and those have been very, very productive conversations. All right. Well, let's talk then about uh, carbon capture and storage. I'm sure you've been having discussions with Alberta around that because uh, Alberta has a lot of emissions and there's been a lot of programs that have been rolled out, including the tax credit for carbon capture storage projects. In the fall economic statement, it talked about the fact there's a $15 billion growth fund that could be used to help create some firmness in the carbon price because that was even last year when you joined us, that was one of the problems in that there was uncertainty and volatility in the price, which made it more difficult to make these billion-dollar, multi-decade investments. So can you give us an update on, on what's going on with that and the feedback you're having in terms of the doability of seeing some final investment decisions in this area within the next year or so? Yeah, we've certainly been having lots of conversations, not only with the Pathways folks who obviously are very interested in this, but many other industries that actually have a real interest in carbon capture and sequestration as one way to help them to reduce their emissions fertilizer, for example, hydrogen production, concrete, even in some cases, steel manufacturing. And so the tax credit is really the foundation, although Canada does have some other tools. So the Strategic Innovation Fund is certainly available for investments in certain carbon capture and sequestration projects. And you may be hearing more about that as we move forward. 
the Canada Growth Fund is actually being stood up as we speak. And uh, as you say, we, we've housed there the idea of contracts for differences to give people certainty around the carbon price. I hope that that will actually be moving within the next few months, which will help to solidify sort of a number of the economic tools to deploy to get deployment going. We've been talking to Alberta. I think Alberta is looking at how they can participate financially to actually ensure that that the overall economics work, because, of course, carbon capture and sequestration is not a big revenue generator for the companies that are employing it. So they're, they're looking for some level of government participation alongside their own capital deployment. So I think we're getting pretty close. And we now have actually at the federal level a dedicated process with the Pathways folks in particular to try to figure out how we accelerate that. Mm-hmm. So the Pathways folks are those who are working with you specifically on oil sands emissions. Yeah. Uh, though carbon capture is essential really for reducing the emissions of many other heavy emitting industries, industrial companies, and so on. So carbon capture was sort of the competitive battleground between the United States and Canada up until the Inflation Reduction Act, which sort of broadened out the competitive nature of how to reduce emissions. And the Inflation Reduction Act, of course, is very generous in a lot of the subsidies for encouraging the clean, green energy transition. The Europeans, as we record this, have just sort of announced today that they are going to get into this green subsidy arms race, as it's being called. So where are we at even more broadly than carbon capture in terms of how we're viewing the the competition for, I'll call it energy transitional industries going forward? Well, the Inflation Reduction Act was a pretty important piece of legislation. There are other other pieces of legislation that the Americans brought forward that are not dissimilar, like the CHIPS Act and, and those kinds of things. But it was positive in the sense that it was the Americans finally making a real commitment to fighting climate change in, in a substantive way. So we and the Europeans and the Japanese all salute that work. But I do think that the way in which they've gone about it, which is enormous spending, people say that the price tag for the Inflation Reduction Act is $379 billion. I, I would say it's not even close to that. It's much higher. Some estimates are above a trillion dollars. It depends, obviously, on what time frame and how you actually see the success of that in terms of, of uh, various kinds of industrial enterprises. But it is putting pressure on Canada. It's putting pressure on Europe. Uh, I had a meeting with the United Kingdom minister at the mining conference in Toronto this week, and they had the same thing. The Japanese are exactly the same. And part of it is the tools that the Americans are using are quite different, right? They are actually using a production tax credit, which essentially we have often paid part of the capital cost to get plants going. This is actually effectively paying for the ongoing operating costs, and it applies over you know, 15, 20, 25-year period. So the numbers get very large very quickly. And so Canada, unfortunately, is not in the same position as the United States. Like The United States is the world's reserve currency. They can sort of do whatever they want in terms of how big their deficit goes without paying a huge price, or not a price that we would pay if we did the same thing and we had to deal with the bond rating agencies. So Canada is going to have to be strategic. We can't compete with the Americans and the level of funding that they can put into these things in every sector. We're going to have to be very, very focused on the sectors where we think we actually have a comparative advantage and areas where we think we are right now fundamentally at a disadvantage. We we started to respond in the fall economic statement with the hydrogen tax credit and the clean tech deployment tax credit. But I would say there are other areas, including things like battery manufacturing and mineral processing, where right now you're hearing a big, big sucking sound from the United States. And it's not just from Canada, it's from Europe too. Mm-hmm. 
I want to ask a follow-up on that because uh, I think in many cases, the investment tax credit can work, but there are a few specific areas where a production tax credit would be much better. And I don't think we're going to be able to compete with the US without it. One would be hydrogen. The other would be manufacturing of clean energy. You know, the investment in the upfront equipment, getting a 30% tax credit on that is pretty small compared to getting a price for every widget you produce over the next uh, 10 years. So do you think we're going to be able to compete for those manufacturing jobs and those hydrogen jobs if we don't get the production tax credit? Well, again, I think we're going to have to be strategic about those areas that we think are fundamentally important for the future of Canada's economy. And I would say that certainly we need to see some level of battery manufacturing and electric vehicle manufacturing, minerals processing in this country. I think hydrogen production is an enormous opportunity for many different provinces in this country. And in Alberta, it's gas-based, but with carbon capture on the East Coast, it's actually wind and offshore wind to hydrogen. So I do think we are going to have to uh, to be thoughtful and strategic and pick those places where we're willing to make a bet. And that's certainly a conversation I am having actively with the Minister of Finance. Ultimately, she is the one who makes the decisions about what going to the budget. But it definitely is something that we are very live to. So you're live to it and you're thinking about it. But the domains, I'll call them within the energy landscape that Canada wants to be strategic in under the federal leadership of the policy is not yet decided. Is that what I'm hearing? We're trying to make sure that we are thoughtful about fully understanding the implications of the IRA because Jackie's right. Like It depends a little bit on the CapEx OPEX um, as to how the an investment tax credit works versus a production tax credit. And then we're, we're trying to sit down and make choices about which areas does Canada really need to be competitive. You know, as you know, Peter, like there is no point in Canada making massive investments and becoming a, a wind turbine manufacturer. That game was won a long time ago. And, and the same thing is true with large scale volume manufacturing of solar panels by and large, except in, in some very specific instances. But but there are areas like critical minerals where Canada doesn't want to be the hewers of wood and drawers of water forevermore. Like if we are extracting critical minerals in this country, we want to process some of them here too. We want to actually make the, some of the batteries too. So we want those manufacturing jobs. We recognize the Americans will want to have some of that and the Japanese will as well. Canada is not going to get everything, but we certainly need to have an industrial base in this country. Well, everyone's going to be watching very carefully the budget this year in the energy <laughs> space. I'm, I'm sure uh, we all watch it every year, but especially this year. Let's talk a bit about the cap on oil and gas emissions. There was a discussion document released uh, last summer. There was a lot of concerns and controversy around that, that those goals, and there were no actual goals for reductions, but the perception was that if we were to try to make the government's goals of a 40 to 45% reduction by 2030, it would mean we would have to shut in production because we couldn't make the reductions in time. What's the update on that policy? So there was, as you say, a consultation about two different ways in which to actually implement a cap. And I think Environment Canada, which is the lead department in this area, is digesting a lot of the feedback and trying to figure out program design. But what I would say is we are working actively with the sector and discussing this, obviously, with the government of Alberta and Saskatchewan. And I would say that the the discussions are probably most advanced with the oil sands folks, with the pathways folks. But we're also talking to CAP and others. I think everybody agrees. Well, everybody agrees that we need to reduce emissions. Everybody, most of the large scale companies in Alberta have committed to net zero by 2050. So the issue is how fast can you go? How big are the increments? And what are the creative ways that you can try to solve for maybe a gap between what we have put in the emissions reduction plan and 
and what the the sector thinks is uh, is doable within the time frame. And I would say, you know, the pathways folks by and large are of the view that what we're asking them to do is quite doable, but it's a little bit longer than the time frame that we've got. And so what we're doing is having a conversation about them is how can we create a solve for that problem? Like instead of just going into our corners and saying you have to do this and you have to do that, it's about trying to creatively come up with solutions that will work for the climate, but will also work for the industry. You are absolutely right that the idea is that um, you know we shouldn't be shutting in production at a time where global demand has not begun to decline. And I think most folks who are watching this market, Peter's the the expert on all of this, but yeah, wouldn't expect to see significant declines in in the demand for oil globally until at least sort of mid twenty thirty five or around there. So shutting in production doesn't make sense either. So we're trying to solve for that problem as we work through it, and and we'll see how far we get. Yeah, and the oil sands is only one segment of the overall large oil and gas industry. The conventional side is big that spans four provinces, British Columbia, dominantly Alberta, Saskatchewan, and of course, there's Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, on the other side... Don't forget Manitoba. Well, Manitoba has a little <laughs> bit as well, absolutely. But um, let's actually move to the other side of the country, to Newfoundland and Labrador. There has been a lot of talk about the hydrogen project that is underway there with the offshore wind into renewable green hydrogen. Can you talk a bit about where that's at and, and how the latest policy thinking is on that? Well, there's a lot of interest uh, on the East Coast, both in Newfoundland and in Nova Scotia, on um, using wind as a way in which to generate electricity and using then electrolysis to actually produce hydrogen that would be shipped to Germany. The Germans, as you know, the Chancellor and the Vice Chancellor were here not that long ago, and we signed an agreement with them to work together to accelerate that work and ideally to actually have shipments going to Europe as early as 2025, which is pretty soon. There are, as I say, a number of different projects being developed. The one that has made the most progress, I would say, is the Everwind project, where they have now gotten an uh, environmental approval from the government of Nova Scotia. They have just announced a memorandum of understanding to develop an offtake agreement with Uniper, which is a big German energy company. And the beginning phases of most of those projects start with onshore wind, where they actually already have sites that they can actually develop. The second part of it is offshore wind, where Canada actually hasn't done a lot historically, but many countries have. And there, there's some regulatory changes that the government of Canada and Newfoundland and Nova Scotia need to make together. And we're in the process of actually doing that. And I hope to be able to introduce legislation into Parliament before the summer. So, Well, thank you very much, Minister. We know your time is limited. And thanks for joining us again on our podcast. We look forward to hearing more about hydrogen, about jobs in the sustainable economy, and everything else that is affected by energy and environment policy. So, Minister Jonathan Wilkinson of Natural Resources Canada, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Always happy to chat. Thank you, Minister. Well, that was a great discussion with the minister, Peter. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the things that we heard. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, the the whole jobs plan that's been put forward, because, you know, this whole thing started out with the, the just transition and the effect that energy transition and energy transition policy was going to have on oil and gas workers and their communities. But the sustainable jobs plan goes far beyond that and really addresses the really vital issue of where are we going to find the labor? Yeah, I mean, I think that started out being controversial, but I think everyone can agree. And he said there has been a lot of agreement, even from provinces like Alberta, that we do need mm -hmm. a lot more skills training to get the clean energy workers that we're going to need to get even close to some of these goals that we have. 
Yeah, because the short the shortage of materials is one thing. Things like all the vital minerals and metals that needs to go into this sustainable economy of the future, but getting the people is even even more vital. Now, another topic was uh, the, the upcoming spring budget. Uh, we're all calling it the uh, Canadian version of the IRA. So, you know, he mm-hmm. told us don't expect it to be exactly like the IRA because we can't mm-hmm. afford to compete completely. Yeah, he no. definitely made me think that production tax credits may not be there, or if they're going to be there, it'll be for some very select areas. Uh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, I get what he's saying. We can't do it all. But I do think that will be disappointing for some folks because without the production tax credits, it will be difficult in some areas for us to compete. Yeah, well, we certainly can't do it all. The Americans have taken a very much a shotgun approach of sprinkling subsidies all over the energy landscape. And what I heard was that ours is going to be much more of a rifle approach. Pick our spots. We don't know what those spots are. And so we will await the budget to hear what they may be as we go forward. All right. Well, the cap on oil and gas emissions has definitely been a topic mm. we've we've covered on this podcast, and we have we have some real concerns with it. So, what did you think about what you heard from Minister Wilkinson? Well, there was a lot of references to Pathways, which is the oil sands consortia of six companies, uh, but the oil sands is only one part, one sector of the broader oil and gas industry. As I as I mentioned earlier in the conversation with the minister, the conventional business is not like oil sands, which is heavily concentrated in and around the Fort McMurray area. And the challenges of emissions reduction in the conventional area, all the way from the natural gas-rich province of British Columbia, all the way down into southeast Saskatchewan, which is much more oily, the challenges are much bigger. The recognition that those challenges are there has set in, and the discussions are much less advanced than the pathways side and the oil sand side of the emissions reductions, but they're underway. And so it will be interesting to see how the the policy shakes out on emissions cap as it relates to the conventional side. Yeah. I mean, I heard some really positive things there. One, that they don't plan to shut in production. And so mm-hmm. they're working with uh, industry, with the provinces to figure out, okay, what's the appropriate goals so that we don't end up mm-hmm. shutting in production. So that was a relief to hear. Uh, he also talked about carbon capture storage and some of the policies that, that have been put in place. Mm-hmm. I tried to put him on the spot to say, are there going to be sanctions this year? <laughs> he, di- he didn't answer that. But, you know, the fact that they're setting up this office for the growth fund, the $15 billion for now, and he's talking about the fact it's, it's still a couple months away. That is slower mm-hmm. than when it was initially announced. But he talked about the fact the contract for differences and trying to create certainty in carbon price, which is definitely the uh, the big barrier here for sanctions in my view. So it was good to hear that that's coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, one more thing on the production side. I mean, the minister talked about how global demand is not receding, and that's true. But the bigger issue for me is not global demand, but it's really the need for oil and gas within the Western alliance. We are, as we've said many times, and we've talked many times about the geopolitical situation at war, in a proxy war with the Russians, and our energy supply to the Western Alliance is about 20% of the needs. You know, it's 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 a really mm-hmm. significant fraction. And 20% of NATO's consumption is what our right. production is. Yeah. For oil. And so Canada is an essential part. And um, to encumber that right now is actually, it, it spills over into strategic military issues. All right. With that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our listeners for following the podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.